Did you know that psychologically there is an art form as to how to start a sermon? If I get up here and I introduce myself, Pastor Tanner, and tell you that I'm a Chi Alpha director at Shatter State College, if I immediately start off that way, your brain begins to get comfortable and you check out. If I start off by doing a mic check, hey, can you hear me? Immediately our brains are so comfortable because we've heard that so much, especially when we were young. We hear it so much that our brains get so comfortable that immediately it begins to check out and you pull out your phone you don't even realize it oftentimes. And so as a pastor, there is an actual art form that we actually are taught this um, if, if you want to learn it. As a speaker, anything like that, as a public speaker, as a pastor, anybody who speaks for a living recognizes and knows that there is an art form to, uh, to starting off how you speak. It is actually more beneficial for me to start off with a 30-second silence than it is to do a mic check. Last week, those of you guys that were here uh, know how uncomfortable a minute of stage time can be. And I just want to give um, Pastor Steve props because that was like three seconds and I felt uncomfortable already. I can only imagine how uncomfortable that one minute was. And so if you guys haven't got the theme of today, is about comfort. It's about uncomfortability. Um, I do want to take a quick second um, just to kind of share with you guys, those of you guys that are interested um, I am the Chi Alpha Director at Shattern State College. Uh, my name is uh, Tanner. My wife and my son are over there. They're amazing. Um, we are in the middle of support raising this summer. And so there has been quite a few letters sent out. And I just wanted uh, to say thank you to all of you guys that have received our messages, um, received our letters, and have reached back out and have decided to support us. If you haven't decided to support us, you should. Um, we're about 70% fully funded. We need to get to 90% or above in order to be back on campus in the fall. And so I am just sharing that little snippet just to let you guys know we are support raising. We do need more money as missionaries um, because they did increase our budget this last year. And so we want to be on campus. Um, but since I am not here as a missionary, I'm here as just a member of the church. I want to preach to you guys the same way that... Uh, I preach to my Chi Alpha students. And one of my biggest goals as a Chi Alpha director, as a pastor, is to get my students uncomfortable. Because for me, I only have them for three, four years tops. Um, maybe there are some super-duper seniors that I get for five or six years, but uh, most of the time I only get them for a few years. And so I have to get students raised up from just showing up. You guys have met Jack. Jack got saved in Chi Alpha, got baptized in Chi Alpha. I have to get them from just got saved to leader within a year or two if I want to see any fruit from them while they're in our ministry. And so I have to expedite the process. You know how I expedite the process is get them uncomfortable constantly. Because as Christians, we thrive. We were designed to be uncomfortable. Uncomfortability is what grows us in our faith. Comfort is not what grows us. But yet, as Christians, we seek comfort. We choose a church because it's comfortable. We choose a pastor because it's comfortable. We choose a worship style because it's what's comfortable for us. We seek the comfort so much that we get into this routine. And sometimes it's not comfortable. When we first give our life to Christ, going to church isn't comfortable. When we first become a Christian, going to Bible study isn't comfortable. Speaking up about something that God shared with us at Bible study isn't comfortable. Being discipled isn't comfortable. But we work so hard in that uncomfortability, 
that we try to get comfortable in it. I was actually just talking to, uh, to Pastor Greg. To Greg, might as well be. Uh, to Greg this morning, he asked if I was getting nervous, and I said no. And I actually don't like that I don't get nervous before I speak, because I prefer to be uncomfortable a little bit, because it means that I'm taking it seriously. It means that I'm, I'm very serious about what I'm getting ready to speak. If I'm too comfortable with it, oftentimes it's, it's usually under my own strength and not under the Holy Spirit's strength. And almost immediately after I had that conversation with him, I felt like I needed to change a couple things in my sermon to make me a little more uncomfortable. Because I'm literally talking about comfort, and he asked me, are you, are you nervous? But that's the thing. Um, we try to get comfortable with our faith. And so what we do is we get to the point where we go to church, we go to Bible study, we do those things, we get comfortable in it, and then we get stagnant. And then we stop practicing our faith, and slowly but surely we stop reading the Bible, we stop trying to learn. Maybe you've read through the Bible an entire time, and you're like, you know what, I've read it. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop pushing myself. We get to this point where we get relaxed and we, we just kind of get stagnant. But Timothy, Paul is talking to Timothy, and he references athlete, athletics, references, kind of compares us in our faith to athletes. And if we were to compare ourselves as an athlete, if you were to look at a professional boxer and see how they train, they don't ever get to a point where they're comfortable with their training. They are constantly trying to get uncomfortable, trying to challenge themselves in new ways, box in new ways, um, try to counter new things because the sport, and, and boxing is just off the top of my head, you can pick a sport. Every sport constantly is evolving and there's different things being added, different things being changed, um, different levels of athleticism. And so if a boxer just got comfortable, decided to stop really training very hard, and then showed up to a boxing match, he's probably going to get an early retirement surprise. Because as an athlete, they have to, you have to get uncomfortable with your athletics. And so in comparison, Paul is comparing us to athletes, and we in our faith have to get uncomfortable in the same way. As Christians, like I said, we're, we're built, we're, we're designed to thrive in the uncomfortability of this world. And in fact, there's not much worse than a comfortable church. There's not much worse than a comfortable Christian. God's very clear. He talks a lot about lukewarm Christianity. And you can say lukewarm Christianity, but in my mind, it's no different than comfortable Christianity. Comfortable Christianity and lukewarm Christianity are the same thing in my mind. Because in that comfort, we become lukewarm. And so this church, I've seen you guys get uncomfortable in your faith, I've seen you paint rodeo grounds, handing out water when it's super hot, doing taco outreaches to the school every month, um, putting new lights in the foyer that took ten times longer than it was supposed to. And I just hope that each one of us in this church are getting un- as uncomfortable in our faith as this church is as a whole in our faith. But when I look across the country and I look across America and the greater American church, I see a church that has become absolutely infatuated with comfort. I see a church that has become more about programs than it has about people. It's become more about appearance than it has the gospel. It's become more about being politically correct than it is preaching the truth, sharing the truth. But the thing about the gospel, the thing about the true gospel, and what the gospel looks like in our church and in our lives, is that the gospel is messy. It's always going to be messy. 
those of you guys that met Jack, I just referred to him. If you haven't, um, he's a student that I bring to uh, service. He's home for the summer, but I've been bringing him to service. He got baptized in our fall retreat. And he was walking around the fall retreat blasting honky-tonk, badonkadonk, and proclaiming to everybody that would listen that is the greatest song ever invented. And if you tried to disagree with him, he would argue with you. I was 90% sure he was going to cuss when I gave him the mic to share his testimony about how he had got saved and why he was being baptized. The gospel is messy. I heard an evangelist one time talk about how there needs to be cussing in the foyer. I didn't like the way he said it, but I got the point of what he was saying was, we should be having non-Christians and early Christians and people who are all walks of their faith to a level where there sometimes is going to be cussing in the foyer. The gospel is messy and it should be messy. But we've become so infatuated with our own feelings that if we don't feel Jesus in the room, if we don't feel the Holy Spirit, then that means worship just wasn't anointed. They weren't feeling it. If, if I don't feel the Holy Spirit when Pastor Steve's preaching, then it meant that maybe he didn't focus that much on his sermon this week. Or maybe Steve wasn't feeling it this week. If we don't feel the Holy Spirit, then we begin to, to discount it. But more often than not, when we don't feel Jesus' presence, when we don't feel Him with us, oftentimes it's because we're so, thought, or we're so caught up in our thoughts about the worship or the quality of the sermon or how this isn't hitting me that we're forgetting to just be with Jesus. We're missing the point of worship if we're so worried about how it makes us feel that we forget to actually worship And so in Matthew 28, Jesus says to us, and this is how Matthew chooses to to end his letter. And it's Jesus' words. And it says, starting in verse 16, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. We know this is the Great Commission. This is preached about, this is taught about. I teach this, this verse or this passage of Scripture probably more than anything else while I'm trying to raise up my students to become disciple makers, to, to teach them that it is their calling to make disciples. I, this piece of Scripture is powerful. And it is a commandment from Jesus for us. But the way that Matthew decides to end his entire letter is to go out on the bang of, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Now, as a part of the Great Commission, this is often regarded as one of the greatest promises within the Bible. But the problem for me is that this isn't a promise. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. This is a statement. Jesus is stating, I am with you, even to the end of the age. He didn't say, I will always be with you. I promise to be with you. Um, I will be with you if you do these things. I will be with you if you feel worship this morning. If, if worship is anointed, then I, I'm going to be with you. If Pastor Steve... 
gets loud and inspirational and all of us are fired up, then Jesus is with us. You know, saying, Jesus is saying, I am with you always. There's no condition. You know, earlier in Matthew, Satan is tempting Jesus. And in his temptation, he says, if you will bow down to me, then all of this will be yours. There's a condition with it. The thing about God is, there's not a condition. Jesus is saying, I am with you always. That's powerful. That means something. Now, I might not always feel Jesus. I might not always be hearing from Jesus. But I know because... He stated it, that He is with you. The reason this is so powerful is because in America, our feelings have become our gods. Everything is based off of the way we feel. Laws are being passed based off of how we feel. But the thing is, our feelings lie to us a lot. Just this morning, my son Bennett is being adorable as always right now. I woke up this morning pretty grumpy because Bennett escaped and came over and smacked me in the face. That was my wake-up call. He was climbing on me. That is how I woke up, and I woke up pretty grumpy. I was upset because I was feeling tired. But if you know the struggle that Courtney and I went through in order for Bennett and the miracle that he even is, you would know that in my heart and in my soul and in my every being, I am so thankful, I am so grateful, I am so honored to get woken up by Bennett coming over and climbing on me and smacking me in the face. The fact that he is with me is such an honor, it's such a privilege, it is such a miracle that I am I'm never in my heart and in my, in my inner, innermost being never upset to be woken up by him. However, when I am woken up by him and I am tired and I'm grumpy and I'm feeling tired, I'm going to be pretty ticked off. Because my feelings are lying to me. It's not the reality. I'm not mad at Bennett. I don't hate Bennett. But in those moments, I'm angry because my feelings. I'm going along with my feelings. Now, don't get me started when my wife gets hangry. You know, when you're so hungry that you start to get angry. Guys, you know what I'm talking about. When your wife gets angry... You guys know. You know what I'm talking about. Yep. Don't look at your wife. She's looking at you to see if you're looking at her. He's doing a good job. He's just blinking at me sympathetically. It's great. You should see it. But hey, I get it. All I have to do is mention tacos, and all of a sudden my anointing goes out the window and you become hungry. And you're no longer interested in what I have to say. You mention a big juicy steak, and all of a sudden, boom, you don't want to be here anymore. You're thinking about lunch. You're thinking about what's going to happen after this. You're starting to get distracted. As soon as you begin to feel hungry, you no longer feel the anointing of Jesus in this place. But that's the thing about Jesus. He doesn't lie to us. His word doesn't change. He doesn't change based off of our mood. He doesn't change based off of 
our hunger levels. His love for us doesn't fly out the window the moment the remote goes missing. You guys know what I'm talking about. Get up. I don't believe you. It's underneath you. I know it. Jesus is with us. But perhaps you woke up today, maybe this week, maybe it's been a month-long endurance, maybe you've been there and you're no longer there, but you might be saying, I don't really feel the presence of God. I've been there. I know what that feels like. Probably more often than you think would be fitting for a pastor. How many times I haven't felt God's presence in my life. But we have to get past the feeling and move into a knowing that God is with us. In order for us to progress in our faith, we have to move past the feelings and move into a knowledge. And we need to stand firm in that foundation. Because in that foundation, there's no uncertainty. There's just Jesus. And He's faithful. And if you're not there right now, you might find yourself someday in what Scripture talks about as a wilderness season. 1 Peter 6 talks about it. It says, In all of this, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. A refining season. Oftentimes, this is the season which it seems like nothing is going right. And in the midst of nothing going right, I also don't feel the presence of God. Jesus just feels so far away. His truths, His promises for my life feel so far away. They feel so distant. It feels like God isn't listening to my prayers. He isn't answering my prayers. He's not there. If you've ever prayed for more patience, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Because God doesn't just miraculously make you a patient person. He begins to put instances in your life to challenge you and help you to grow in your patience. Now that doesn't mean that everything that is hurtful, everything that is harmful, everything that is challenging is sent from God. But what I am saying is that in each of those instances, no matter what the hardship is, if we keep God our first and foremost, He will use it for His glory and for ours and for our growth. And that's not to say that He sent it to you, but it is to say that if you keep Him your number one priority, you will grow in it. It's the embodiment of the footprints poem. You guys know what I'm talking about. Why at the hardest times in my life, there is only one set of footprints. Because the sand people walk single file to hide their numbers. Oh wait, that's a Star Wars reference. That's not, that doesn't belong here. Steve must have got a hold of my notes. But Philippians 4.4 4 says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. The power of Philippians, I love 
I absolutely love Philippians. I probably quote Philippians more than any other book of the Bible when I'm preaching. I love Philippians. And the power of Philippians isn't even necessarily within the context of the text. The power of Philippians is knowing that Paul wrote Philippians to a church that was doing okay from prison. And so he is suffering for sharing the gospel. He is out sharing the gospel, creating converts, planting churches, and he is thrown in prison for his faith in Jesus Christ. And he is suffering from prison, and he is reminding the free church to rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Someone who has absolutely no reason to be rejoicing in the Lord, because apparently Jesus isn't with them anymore if the hardship has landed him in jail, right? God has abandoned him if he is in prison, right? No. He is saying that Jesus knew I was going to be in prison. And if I am here, even though I have put him as my number one, there is a good reason for it. And so I will rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. But sometimes we as Christians, especially in how free we live in this country, a lot of times that freedom causes a comfort in our faith. And that's not to say that we should want the freedoms that we have to be taken away, by no means. But it means we have to be extra diligent to make sure and to ensure that the freedoms we experience don't lull us into a false sense of comfortability with our faith. Because there's so often that we have the attitude of, I've been doing good. I've been reading my Bible every day. I've been praying every day. I've been doing the things I need to do. I'm going to church. I'm going to Bible study. I'm getting discipled. I'm making disciples. I am reading my Bible. I am worshiping. I am doing a a daily devotional. I'm doing all the things I need to do, but yet God still feels distant, there must be something wrong with me. God feels so distant, He must be mad at me. I must be the exception. I've been there. I'm not saying anything to you that I wouldn't tell myself if I could. But Paul is literally laying the foundations of the church and he still had to endure jail. All of the disciples, most of the disciples, were eventually martyred for their faith. Did God abandon them in the moment of their death? Was God punishing them because they were being unruly or outside of the gospel? No. Now this is the part where the sermon's going to get extra uncomfortable, okay? If you weren't uncomfortable yet, this is, this is my favorite part of the sermon, okay? So we're going to wrap it all up. We're going to bring it all together. And keep in mind that Jesus said, I will be with you always to the end of this earth. I didn't abandon the previous verses from that. We're going to go back to that now. Because this statement came directly after the Great Commission. It is 
your job to share the gospel. It is your job to make disciples. It is your job to love your neighbor. It is your job to share the gospel in Shadron, in Crawford, wherever you live. It is your job. It is also Pastor Steve's job. This, what we do here, is very important. Steve sharing sermons each week and Bible studies and discipleship and the the things of the church, they are extremely important. And it is part of Steve's job to share the gospel, but it is also part of your job. But so often our churches have decided that it's only the pastor's job. Or God isn't really calling me to that. I'm not really equipped to, to share the gospel. God hasn't equipped me to make disciples. God hasn't equipped me to share my faith. God hasn't really called me into that in my, this season in my life. That's not what I'm reading here. Because you are equipped. How do I know that you are equipped? Because the very last sentence of that, Jesus is saying, I am with you always. What's happening when we begin to make excuses, we begin to say, oh, that's not really not my calling, I'm not really equipped for that, I'm not really called for that, is we've moved from a sense of knowing Jesus is with us into a feeling of, I feel like, I'm not really called for that because I don't feel God's presence in my life. I'm not really called for that because I don't feel comfortable with that. I don't really want to go into that because I don't feel like that's something I want to do with my faith. We move from a knowledge of Jesus being with us and the Holy Spirit being with us, and God being with us, we move from that knowledge into our feelings again. We begin to come up with excuses as to why I'm not supposed to share my faith. But that's the coolest part about it, though, is because when we walk in a knowledge of knowing that Jesus is with us, all we have to do is just allow our faith to multiply. We don't have to complicate it. We don't have to stand on street corners with signs chanting chants. We don't have to picket and riot and do all of these things. We don't have to do all of that hard, difficult stuff that we have in our mind. We don't have to go door to door. All we have to do is allow our faith to multiply. And I've shared this almost exact thing here before. Because for me, it looks a little bit like this. Hey, Steve, do you like tacos? Yeah. Well, I'm making some barbacoa tacos tonight. You don't have to bring anything over. I've got everything. Don't worry. Just show up for dinner. In Chi Alpha, it's more often than not, most of our students that get saved, as far as the guys are concerned, girls are a little different because Courtney disciples out of her giftings different than I do. But for me, most of my discipleship occurs over disc golf and tacos, burritos, dinner, meals. And as they come over, I ask them about their life. I ask them to share what's important to them. I get to know them. I show them that I love them. I grow in my relationship with them. I get more comfortable with them. They get more comfortable with me. And as we are talking, I allow my faith to come out of my mouth. 
I allow my love for them to be shown through food and through disc golf and through conversation and through counseling and through discipleship. I allow my love for them to multiply. Because when it comes down to it, in this town alone, in just Crawford, there's over a thousand people in this town who I bet like tacos, they might like disc golf, and they don't know Jesus. I call that job security. Because no matter what you are called to, because you might be called to the ranch scene, you might be called to the, the railroad, you might be called to the school district, you might be called to those things. Those are very important things, and that is what God is asking you to walk in. But while you are there, it is also your job to make disciples and to share the gospel and to share your faith. Because I bet almost all thousand plus of them would never step foot in this church. But I would bet almost all thousand plus of them would step foot into your kitchen. And so the bulk of the gospel is shared in your kitchen, not in this church. And then as they grow in the relationship with you and they begin to recognize that Christians aren't crazy, that we're not evil, that we don't hate people, that we don't hate everybody who isn't exactly like us, that we, we don't have these weird issues that society has began to put on our shoulders as they begin to realize that we really do love them and that it is out of the abundance of our hearts that we love them because of the love that we receive from Jesus, from knowing that He is with us and knowing that He has protected us and knowing that He has guided us and knowing that He has directed us, then they might step foot in the church. When I was talking to Jack, I don't know why I'm sharing this, but I feel like I should. I was talking to Jack, and uh, we are playing disc golf, and he comes up to me and he says, Hey, have you heard about, um, insert name here? And I said, No, what's going on? He said, Well, he got in trouble for drugs. He's kicked out of school, and uh, his dreams are over. And I was like, Man, that, that really sucks. I didn't know this kid super personally or anything, but... And he said, Tanner, that, that, that's me. Me and him were twins. We were the same person when we came to college. We could have been brothers. The things that he was interested in, I was interested in. He claimed he was a Christian. I claimed I was a Christian. But the reason that I know Jesus is real, the reason that I know Jesus is actually real, is because now I have given my life to Christ, I have been baptized, and I am standing beside you, and I have happier than I've ever been. I have more joy in my life than I've ever had. And I feel more comfortable with myself and with my life than I've ever felt in my entire life. And he is in jail. He said, because had I not found Chi Alpha, had I not found you, had I not found Jesus, I would be sitting in the jail cell next to him. I know that for a fact. And all I did to change this young man's life is to love him the same way somebody else showed me love. I loved him the same way Jesus shows me love. I cared for him the same way Jesus cares for me. And through that abundance, through the abundance of my heart, 
he grew his foundation and in his knowledge of Jesus Christ as well. Do you want to close? Okay. So now I am challenging you. And I'm not challenging you. I am just reiterating what the end of Matthew already says. That when you leave here, go out in confidence that Jesus is with you. He has equipped you. And in that moment, when you decide, hey, I'm going to share my faith, I'm going to invite this person over, that you would know Jesus was with you. That he would give you strength, that he would equip you, that maybe you don't feel like you would have the words to say, that you would know Jesus would come in your weakness and that he would help you to shore up any gaps in your faith that might exist in order for you to show those people Jesus and the love that Jesus has showed you. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you. Jesus, I thank you for for your statement, for, for, for telling us, assuring us that you are with us. I thank you that we can walk in the knowledge that you are with us. Jesus, I thank you more than anything else for the love that you've shown me in my life, that you've shown each and every single one of us in our lives. And so, Lord, I pray that as we leave today and as we walk out of this church, that we wouldn't leave our Christianity in the pulpit. I pray that as we leave this facility, that we would take our faith with us and that we would allow our faith in Jesus, in you, to multiply this week. I pray that you begin to highlight people in our lives that we need to invite over to dinner, that we need to invite out to play golf, to play disc golf, to go bowling, whatever it is, to go out to coffee with. I pray that you begin to highlight those people in our lives and give us the courage walk in the foundation of knowing you are with us and that you have called us. Help us to walk in a confidence of you. Not in our own confidence, not in our own abilities, but Lord, in your abilities. Lord, I pray that this church's love would multiply this week. And it is in your name we pray. Amen.